everybody, welcome to the export. I'm Ribbon X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tay, aka somebody who I am very interested to know. Um, earlier this week, Derrick Henry was on the Bustle with the Boys podcast, and he talked about that it was pretty likely that he was going to get traded at the trade deadline. Obviously, that didn't happen. He finished the season out with the uh, Tennessee Titans, but he said the two teams that he was close to getting traded to are still in the playoffs. So I think we can probably guess that Baltimore is one of them, but who do you think the other team was? Baltimore. I'm going to go off flyer inside Houston. I could possibly see Houston, especially because, like, at the beginning of the year, their run game was kind of rough. Mm, I think I'm going to say Tampa because they're another team that's running game was kind of spotty. And Rashad White has turned it on the last few weeks of the season, but before that it was rough. So he could have gave them a nice boost, especially going into the postseason. But it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Uh, we got a cool show for you guys today. Obviously, we're going to recap Wild Card Weekend, um, obviously look at the highs and lows and kind of look at where do the losers go from here. Um, we're also going to play a Cowboys edition of Believable or Buffoonery before making our divisional round game picks. And then with the NBA, we're going to talk about whether or not it's believable or buffoonery uh, that it is disrespectful for people to compare Joel Embiid to Shaquille O'Neal. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So kicking this show off college football player spotlight we're back to doing individual players and this week we're putting the spotlight on junior michigan quarterback jj mccarthy earlier this week he announced that he has decided to declare for the 2024 nfl draft coming off of a national championship and the potential of his head coach leaving for the nfl as well this season he was solid completed um 240 of his 332 passes had a completion percentage of 72.3 uh, 2,991 passing yards, 22 touchdowns, and just four picks. I know we've kind of talked about the big dogs of this quarterback class, so Caleb Williams and Drake Mays, and kind of risers like uh, Michael Penix and, of course, Jaden Daniels. In your opinion, should J.J. McCarthy be drafted in the first round of this year's draft? I'm going to say no. Um... I think he is a good quarterback. I think he could be a good project quarterback for a team. But I think if you're taking, if you're looking to take a quarterback in the first round, you're looking for them maybe not starting uh, the beginning of the season or even the first season, but you're looking to get them on the field relatively quick. And I don't think that he is like, NFL starting caliber quarterback just yet. I mean, at Michigan, he had a lot of team success, but his team success came from being on a team that had one of the more dominant running backs in college football and Blake Corum. Um, having another dominant running back and uh, Donovan Peoples behind him. Donovan so, Edwards. Yeah, Donovan Edwards. I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 think, I don't think he should be a first round QB. I agree. And, I mean, we've seen plenty of quarterbacks who are, I guess, I'm, I don't know if you guys have heard, like, the truck and trailer analogy with the draft. But, essentially, if you're a truck, you're a guy who can lead the offense. If you're a trailer, you're being you're benefited from the guys around you. He's definitely been a trailer. And we've seen other trailers go in the first round and have some success. And I think that 
with J.J. McCarthy, I think it will be a situation of if I have an offense like – try to think of an example. If I am the – for the sake of conversation, if I'm the New England Patriots, I'm not taking J.J. McCarthy because I don't have the pieces around him to be successful. And I haven't seen him do enough to be like, hey, we can just put the team on his back and he'll carry us. But let's say next round – Let's say maybe the Miami Dolphins are like, you know what? First round, we don't really believe we're going to not do it. But second round, we got Tua with a contract coming up. We don't know if we want to commit to him. J.J. McCarthy would be perfect in that situation because you got a great run game. You got two of the best receivers in the NFL, a solid offensive line, and a great coach. In that situation, I think he would thrive. And I think that would be the only way that he could possibly go in the first round is if he goes into a situation like that. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to recapping Wild Card Weekend. Like I said, we're going to do things a little bit differently. So what we're going to do is go through the Wild Card games, and then a question is asked about each Wild Card loser. Uh, starting things off with the Houston Texans defeating the Cleveland Browns 45-14. to And this defense for the Cleveland has been one of the best in the NFL, especially at home. On the road, they've absolutely had their struggles. But going into this season – Nobody expected them to play as well as they did. Had arguably the best secondary in the league. Obviously fell short. Do you feel like the Browns' defense has peaked? Is this as good as the Browns' defense was going to get? I'm going to say yes. Um, I think, obviously, you can make a couple moves at different positions. Like, you can potentially get another pass rusher alongside Miles Garrett. Um... You, their secondary is great, but you can never go wrong with secondary depth. Maybe you can get some DTs to help stop the run better. But I don't, I don't think that defense will get that much better than what they were this past season. I would agree with that. Miles um, Garrett is still great, but I mean, he ended the season on a pretty low note. Last four, last six games of the season, he only had one sack. And I understand you're going up against double teams. But, I mean, we've seen it before. The best guys are going to be able to get off those blocks and have production. And in no way am I saying uh, Miles Garrett is not one of the best, but it was rocky. With Zadarius Smith on the opposite side, he was solid this season but didn't give you too, too much to get excited about. That secondary is great, but you got Greg Newsom with a contract coming up. Same for Martin Emerson. How are you going to be able to pay those guys? And you got JOK, their linebacker in the middle, who needs to get paid. So, in no way am I saying I think they're going to plummet, but I, I just don't buy that they're going to be able to keep up this level of play. All right, moving on to the second game on Saturday night. Kansas City Chiefs defeat the Miami Dolphins 26-7. to Kind of talked about this a little bit ago, but, I mean, Tua Tungabailoa does has a contract coming up. He's eligible for a fifth-year um, option, which I would not be surprised if the Miami Dolphins elected to take it. But with his performance against the Chiefs, do you feel like he's played himself out of getting a big contract extension this offseason? I'm going to say no because of it's hard because of the situation that he was in. I feel like you couldn't even really properly evaluate the performance of Tua because he was playing in adverse conditions from a weather standpoint. Like, I think that the way that the Dolphins like to run their offense, they were at a disadvantage from jump. And you can't really evaluate your quarterback's performance based on those conditions. Now, if it was a game where, let's say, you know, 
they were in the field without that severe weather and cold and wind and all of those things, he played the way he played, then I would say yes. But because of that, I'm going to say no. Okay. And so another Tua-based question, because I thought this was interesting. So following the game against the Chiefs, Tua goes up to Patrick Mahomes, asks him to, like, sign his jersey uh, and get a jersey from him. And fans took offense to this. Like, one fan tweeted out, LMA, LMFAO, Tua gets blown out in the playoff game, and his first response is to ask for the opposing quarterback for his jersey. No competitiveness, no fire, kid is so soft. And usually you'll be like, okay, that's a fan, whatever. But former NFL wide receiver Willie Sneed weighed in on it too. And he said the Dolphins will be good when Tua stops acting soft. So, in your opinion, do you think that Tua's soft? I mean, he's an NFL quarterback, I'm going to say no. Like, he's taking levels of punishment that a lot of people on this earth haven't taken, especially to be able to come back from the injuries that he came back from with the concussions and stuff. I can't call him soft. Now, I will say, I think there was a case of wrong time, wrong place. Yeah. Like, you can get Patrick Mahomes' autographed jersey, but, like, you, you could have done that, you know, like, you could have even done it in KC, but wait to go in the back and do it instead of doing it on the field where it's visible. Yeah, I agree. I don't really think – I don't think he's soft, but, yeah, I, as a fan, I would be mad. Like, we just lost – it was a tough end to the season, and you asking for somebody's jersey? Nah, that would piss me off. All right, moving on to uh, the uh, <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys falling victim to the Green Bay Packers, 48-32. to 32. Obviously, many pundits had opinions on it, which is why the Cowboys are getting their own believable or buffoonery. Uh, but Shannon Sharp went off on the team and said, empty calorie Dak, referring to their stats. He said, this is the most pathetic, disappointing, humiliating loss in Cowboys history. Obviously, we're not going to go into like 100 years of the NFL, but in your recollection, is this the most embarrassing loss the Cowboys have had since you've watched football? Uh, first, before I answer that question, what I told you off air, I was like, it's going to be funny when Jordan Love put them out. Mm-hmm. And it happened. Uh, but to answer the question, as of my knowledge, I'm going to have to say yes. Because it's, it's in the playoffs. You're a two-seed going up against a, a seven-seed going up against, I think, if not the youngest roster, one of the youngest rosters in the NFL as a whole. Mm-hmm. And, and y'all got demolished. Like, the score looks better because... I guess y'all scored a good chunk of points in like garbage time, but like from start to finish, it was no, it was no denying that Packers were gonna win that game. So I, I'm gonna have to say yes. Yeah, I'd agree with you. Um, like, uh, first off, all credit to the Packers for what they did. I mean, Jordan Love showed out. Aaron Jones proved that it's he owns a stake in the Dallas Cowboys franchise, scoring three touchdowns against them. And, I mean, I think the biggest question I had was just how the Packers' defense would perform. And, sure, like you said, you look at the numbers and you'll think, oh, Dak threw he threw for more yards than Jordan Love. He had multiple touchdowns. How did they lose? You watched that game. It was utter domination. At halftime, it was, what, 27-7? to So, yes, I would agree with you. I think this is the most embarrassing loss in their franchise, and I'm really interested to see what all the fallout is going to be because, obviously, something's going to have to change in Dallas or it's just going to keep 
being the same thing over and over again. They look good in the playoffs. I mean, not playoffs. They look good in the regular season. Dak Prescott has some good games. The defense looks good. Everybody's saying, we them boys, we back. Playoffs come and they get bounced. So I, I hope they do something differently because at this point it's getting a, it's funny still because those um those memes of uh, Jerry Jones and MLK Weekend were some of the funniest things I've seen all year. But it's also getting a bit redundant at this point. I like I want to see something different. Whether it either be bad and be bad or be good and be good. This middle ground is annoying. But all right, moving on uh, to another game that took place this past Sunday. The Detroit Lions held on to defeat the Los Angeles Rams 24-23. to Probably, not probably, best game of the weekend. And, I mean, it did have some really good performances, including one of which from Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford, we were, we were both watching the game. He took a good lick, and he came back, and he still played well. But, I mean... This is a guy who's been in the NFL since 2008, I believe. I'm 2009, I'm sorry. How much longer do you think he can keep it up? Because his wife already came out and said he's coming back next year. But how much longer do you think we're going to be able to see Stafford play at this level? I'm going to say two years. I think he'll be productive this next upcoming season. And then I think he'll have a solid season the season after. And I think that's when he'll... I think it really just depends on his health. I mean, last year missed significant portions after dealing with an injury. This year, I think he only missed that Packers game, but he's been healthy otherwise. He's still taking licks, and he's only getting older. I'm a Matthew Stafford fan, so I hope that he can continue to play because, I mean, he's still really, really good, especially with the weapons around him. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think next year will probably be like that last really, really good year, and then after that, We'll see how it goes, especially if they're able to keep the pieces around him and get better defensively. But in other good news, another player who, I mean, another person we know is returning in 2024 is Mike Tomlin. After walking off the podium when asked about his contract, reportedly he told the players in the locker room that he will be coaching in 2024, which is all great and good. Has, what, 16, 17 years coaching experience, no losing left records. That's great. But he also has six one-and-done playoff appearances and – this was a very interesting stat that uh, uh, CBS Sports posted. Since the last time, these are the teams that have more recently won a playoff game than the Steelers. Seahawks, Chargers, Falcons, Giants, Lions, Vikings, Cowboys, Colts, Browns, Ravens, Texans, Titans, Jags, Saints, Packers, Bills, Bengals, uh, Patriots, Bucks, Eagles, Chiefs, Rams, and 49ers. I believe that's what, 23 teams? So it begs the question, is this barely making it into the playoffs, getting bounced in the first round, is this as far as this Steelers team can go? I think that question has an asterisk next to it. That answer has an asterisk next to it. If you take this exact same roster and you put them next year, then I'm going to say yes. And really, in my mind, yes, they have some needs in other positions. We talked about it off here earlier today. They need some help in corner. They need some linebackers. But I watched that whole game against the Bills, and the thing that stuck out was 
like, they need a quarterback. Mason Rudolph, he did fine for himself in game, but you looked on one side of the field and you had Josh Allen, who, as much as we don't like how people in the media hype him up and overhype him up, even though he's one of the more turnover-prone quarterbacks in the NFL, he's still an elite-level talent in the NFL. And when you look at the Steelers side of it, they don't even have a guy that most people would consider being above-average quarterback. Like, I think if you were to replace Mason Rudolph with, let's say, uh, Kirk Cousins, because we talked about this again off here, or like a Russell Wilson, I don't think they would, I don't think, I think they would have a better chance of winning and at least making it to the second round than they would with what they have now. Yeah, I think, like, on the one hand, it's like Mike Tomlin is a great coach. You'll never hear me say otherwise. But alternatively, it's like, yeah, you may not have a losing season, but you haven't won anything. What, their last Super Bowl win was, what, 2008, 2009 against the Cardinals. Their last Super Bowl appearance was against the Packers, and that was 2011, 2012. It's been a long time. And, I mean, I know because the Steelers have earned a reputation of being such a revered franchise and just a steady franchise, and that's and rightfully so. That's great. But it's also, like, they're all revered, but they haven't done anything. And I think that after seeing this, like, because you are my time, you have a Super Bowl, like, I'm sure it gnaws at him that this team isn't really getting over the hump, especially considering how much talent they've had over the years that realistically should have at least been in the AFC Championship almost every year when they had the killer bees. And so I think that if I'm the Steelers, kind of like I was saying with the Cowboys, like I think a change has to come, like whether it be with Kenny Pickett. I get it. You want him. You draft him in the first round. You want to see big things. But even at his best – He's still the worst quarterback in the AFC North. Mm-hmm. And I, y'all should know at this point how cringy it is for me to say that. And especially in today's game where offenses are so potent and quarterbacks are just so vital and so – I won't say this is the best quarterbacks have ever been, but this is the most versatile quarterbacks we've ever seen. And if you just have a quarterback who's doing the barest of minimums and can't even do that well, you got to do something different. So – yeah, I think, I think as far I'll say this, as long as Kenny Pickett's there, I think this is as far as they go because they have talent elsewhere. Obviously, they could help. They could stand to get some help in that secondary. They need a new left tackle, maybe a third receiver because Allen Robinson is just kind of meh, and I don't think he's going to end up coming back. But as of right now, I think that's the only that's the only way I can see the Steelers going beyond the wild card round. But all right, staying in Pennsylvania. The Philadelphia Eagles. I don't even have anything witty. It's just what went wrong with Philly this season. What went wrong? Uh, I think some of it you can attribute to injury. Some of it I, I really do just think like they lost their mojo. And when they hit, it hit them hard and they weren't able to recover from it. But in, in terms of the game against the Buccaneers, what went wrong was they couldn't tackle to save their life. Like, 
every time a running back touched the ball or a receiver touched the ball, like they broke at least two tackles before they were able to be brought down. Um, so yeah, I think what what went wrong overall in Philly was like the dominant defense that they had last year wasn't dominant this year. I definitely agree with you on the tackling, too. I mean, tackling was just so bad. I don't remember if it was you, I text, or somebody else on that, um, the Trey Palmer touchdown. I was like, they didn't even try. And you could just tell this was a group that just seemed out of it. Like I told you, I was watching the Manicast, and Ray Lewis mentioned, like, he feels like everybody's playing for individual rather than the team collectively. And obviously, like, I've never been – well, let me rephrase that. I've never played for an NFL team. We're not in these players' heads, so we don't exactly know. But it just feels like I think that does probably play a part of it. And then, like you said, injuries hurt. Not having that same level of pass rush is always going to make it harder for the secondary. And I think that because it sucks because, again, this is a team that clearly has talent. They were just in the Super Bowl last year. But they did also have some significant losses in Charles C. Gardner-Johnson, Kaiser White leaving. Like, guys who you don't really think of would make that big of a difference on the defense, they've proven that they did. So it's crazy because there's not just one simple answer as to what went wrong with Philadelphia because it seemed like everything did. Um, but, yeah, so at the end of Wild Card Weekend, we both went 3-3. Three and three. We got the AFC game predictions right, but we got the NFC predictions wrong. And so let's go ahead and turn things over to top three takeaways of the weekend. You can go first. Top three takeaways. Um, for me, number three, the um, we kind of talked about quarterback situation with the uh, with the Steelers. I also think the Browns are in an interesting position of like, what are you going to do with Deshaun Watson? Because when he was on the field, he really wasn't that productive. And then you bring in an old grizzle, Joe Flacco, and, like, he gave them some life and some juice. Um, and I think that if you if you are able to maybe bring in another quarterback, as much as it, hey, I, it pains me to say it, like, the Browns could have been in, maybe been in better position because, like, Deshaun Watson just isn't just that guy anymore. And I'm glad because of what he did off the field. But that's just the reality. I, I've had this conversation with a couple of people the past two days. And I agree with you completely because, simply put, if I'm paying my quarterback over $200 million, and in this case $230 million fully guaranteed, there's no way in hell a guy coming off the couch looks better than him. I don't care about the circumstances. I don't care, well, Deshaun was hurt. Oh, Deshaun did this. Did... No, 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 I don't want to hear none of that. If a guy who is sitting on the couch for over half a season is making you look expendable more than you're doing yourself, that is an issue. But I agree. Well, not even unfortunately. They put themselves in this situation. But they're stuck with him for at least another year. Because no, it's not like they can trade him. Nobody's taking that contract. And if you're a team, you're a front office, what has Deshaun Watson done, like, on the field to make you think, okay, the old Deshaun is back? None. I take my shot with a rookie. 
Um, my number three is the announcers can make all the excuses they want, but the Dolphins clearly have a ceiling. Again, I think that Tua is a solid quarterback, but and I understand the weather was bad, but at the end of the day, the Kansas City Chiefs were playing in the same weather that you were. And I think that you talked about it. The Dolphins' offense is not meant to play in the cold. They're not equipped to be a ground, grounded, uh, grinded out, punch you in the mouth team. That's just not how they're equipped, and that's fine. But that's why they continue to struggle against 500 teams. That's why they continue to struggle against teams that are really good because they can't go blow for blow for them. They're not able to adapt their scheme. They're not able to adapt their offense in a way that they can attack defenses differently than what you expect with the Tyreek Hills on the goal routes or getting Jalen Waddle in open field on a slant. Like If they can't do things like that, they're bound to struggle. And not to say Mike McDaniels is a bad coach or that they need to find a new play caller, but I do think that with this style of play, they can only go so far. Especially because their um, defense ain't doing them no favors. Yeah. My number two is also pertaining to the Dolphins. Their offense just lacks variety. Like, they have talent all over the field, especially on offense. Like, they have Tyreek, they have Jalen, they have two, at least this season, two dynamic running backs. And two is a is a um, an above-average quarterback. But I think the thing that hindered them was is that their offense had no versatility. Like, it's so it's, – it's kind of like um, if you're a fighter and you're known for a strong right hook, and like the person that you're going against, they knows it and they scouted it and they defend it, but you don't have any other counter punch or any other counter move that you can make to gain the advantage. So once they get thrown out the window, you just you you taking shots and you taking the L. And that's what and that's what ultimately what happened is like they weren't able to counteract the conditions. Of the, of the field of play and I just think the, the playoffs in general like in order to be a successful team in the playoffs you're going to at minimum have to win one grinded out bucky football game and because of the way that their offense is set up they just can't do that yeah but I will say this um I was getting uh snow off my windshield and like I probably got crappy gloves, especially compared to what NFL players wear. Like, I literally could not feel my hands. I say that to say, like, props to the players for this Philly. I mean, not Philly. For um, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, uh, Chiefs, and Dolphins, because I don't see how they play football in that weather. And it was significantly colder there than it is in Indianapolis. So props to them, because that looked like torture. And I sent you the thing where, like, uh, Kansas City Hospital were saying like dozens of fans like had reported hypothermia from being at that game. Yeah. Um, my number two is, and I hate to say it because it's a Bama guy, but the Texans may have found a diamond in a rough in Christian Harris, middle linebacker. He's not a guy when you think about the Texans defense that you're just gonna is gonna wow you or you're instantly gonna be like, oh yeah, he's their best player. And I'm not saying that either, but he's really really good and he had a really big showing this past weekend um, against Cleveland. Eight tackles, two tackles for loss, a sack, uh, multiple pass deflection in that pick six. Like, there's a video on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it. But before that pick six, it's literally a video of D'Amico Ryans coming to him, showing him the film and be like, hey, if you see him throw it to the tight end, this is what you do. He executed it perfectly and had that play. And, I mean, 
We're always going to talk about the Derek Stingleys, the Jalen Petries, Jonathan Grenard, Will Anderson, guys like that. But Christian Harris is holding it down in the middle of that defense, and he's going to come up big if they want to make a deeper playoff run. Um, my number one takeaway is um, this Cowboys are late. The thing that lost the Cowboys that again it is again it goes back to the the concept of tough, greedy playoff football. They weren't able to stop the run, and they couldn't run. Oh, uh, like from an offensive standpoint, they had from the jump they had no balance. Like Tony Pollard couldn't get going, so it's like oh. It's kind of like they were playing the game, kind of like in the ways of the old, of like, oh, we're going to shut down y'all run game, and we're going to force you to pass, and we know your quarterback's going to make a mistake. And, like, that's what happened. And because of that, I feel like that's why they got blown out. Like, they couldn't get the – to me, it was like, like, yes, that could have made better decisions. Yes, you know, C.D. Lamb could have had a bigger impact. But this is the reality. When it comes down to playoff football, if you can't run the ball, you're probably not going to win any game. Yeah. Which sucks because, you know, we love some Tony Pollard over here. But this year has shown that he is not a running back one. They need to get some help back there. Um, my number one is it also relates to an NFC East team, but the Eagles need to blow up that secondary. Prayers up to uh, Darius Slay. He got hurt, had to be carted off the field. But he's – He's old for an NFL player. He's 33 years old. Then you got James Bradbury, who played like crap. He uh, On six targets, he allowed five catches, 108 yards, and a touchdown. And four of those receptions that he allowed was for a first down. Avante Maddox has clearly lost a step in the slot. Eli Ricks is still young. He's not ready. Josh Job isn't ready. Keely Ringo isn't ready. Obviously, it's not totally the secondary's fault for the Eagles latest collapse but they are not doing themselves any favors and if I'm Howie Roseman that is my biggest emphasis fix this secondary so what happened um the last month and a half of this season won't happen again but all right let's move on to the positive side most impressive players starting with the offense of guys who impressed me from the offense standpoint I'm going to go, I'm going to go Jordan Love. Uh, he came into this game with a lot of question marks. Like, yes, he had, he was improving his play um, leading into the playoffs. But, I mean, what's a bigger way of making a playoff debut than having a perfect passer rating going 16 for 21 for 272 passing yards and three TDs? Agreed. And doing so in Jerry world. Um, my offensive player, I'm going to go Matthew Stafford. It came in a loss, but Matthew Stafford had one of, if not his best game of the season. A complete 25 of 36 passes, 367 yards, two touchdowns, and he was just throwing darts. Like, some of the throws he made were some of the best throws that I've seen all season. And I know we always talk about, or at least the media loves to talk about, oh, Patrick Mahomes, the way he sidearmed that ball, that no-look pass, blah, blah, blah. Matthew Stafford's been doing it for years, and it's cool to see him be able to do it in prime time. Like I said, I know it sucks that they lost, but he looked damn good. Probably, in my opinion, the best-looking quarterback this weekend. But, all right, defensive players. Defensively, 
the guy I'm gonna say did it and I lost his will. You should know who I'm talking about because I was talking to you on the battle from the game. J- JKO. Jeremiah, I know you know how to pronounce his name. J-O-K, uh, Jeremiah Owuso Karamoa. Yes, like, I was watching that game against the Texans, and like I said, it came and I lost. But it was like, he was constantly in the backfield. Yeah. They they get a run play, he's making a tackle for a loss. They throw a screen play, he's getting a tackle for, for a loss. Like, he was everywhere on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, JOK is a bad, bad man. And, you know, y'all know my feelings. Don't got to, like, keep going into that. But JOK is a lot of fun to watch. He had four tackles for loss in that game. Mind you, the rest of the defense had one. Everywhere. He was everywhere for them. Um, My defensive player, already hyped him up. Uh, Christian Harris said the stats earlier. All right, rookie of the week. There was a lot of really good rookie performances, but I feel like we're probably going to end up a I got to go with C.J. Stroud. Yeah. Uh, I mean, rookie quarterback going up against what was estimated to be, like, the toughest or one of the toughest defenses in the NFL, and he lit them boys up. Yep. Uh, yeah, totally agree. Browns have a great secondary, and he carved them. All right, now this might this was hard for me. It might be hard for you, but who was the most disappointing player for you this weekend? Most disappointing player. Uh, it's not even a player. It's a group. It, it's the Philly defense. Really? I'm gonna go the Cowboys defense because I kind of expected the Steelers to do that, especially because I mean, T.J. Watt didn't play. But Steve Cowboys allowed 41 points, 450 yards, and 143 rushing yards. Before this game, they averaged, they allowed an average of 18 and a half points, which was fifth in the NFL, 306.1 yards in it, which was eighth this season, and 114.1 rushing yards, which was 18th in the NFL. I would, I just can't wait for uh, Michael Parsons to do his little AMA or podcast on Bleach Report because I, I just want to know how he gonna spend this. Yeah, uh, you thought I said the Steelers defense. I mean the Eagles. Oh, well, yeah, them too. They're, yeah, that was ugly. Um, all right, so let's go ahead, head over to the divisional mindset. Not too many personnel moves really taking place. Uh, the New Orleans Saints have decided to fire offensive coordinator Pete Carmichael. He's been there since 2009, so hopefully this will help to bring some new life to that offense. The Browns uh, started cleaning the house on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, they fired their offensive coordinator, Alex Van Pelt, running backs coach Stump Mitchell, and tight ends coach T.C. McCartney. Some players are upset about this move. We'll see how they retort. And then last but certainly not least, Eagles center Jason Kelsey. So following the game, uh, he reportedly told players and coaches in the locker room that he was going to retire. But then yesterday in the on his In the Heights podcast with Travis Kelsey, he talked about that it was just too many emotions going on to really make a decision following that game. And so he has yet to officially decide whether or not he will be retiring. Personally, I think he's going to end up calling it quits, but what do you think? I think he's going to call it a career. Uh, I mean, I don't I know he's been in the league a long time. And just like, I don't know if you saw it, 
but it was like the report that came out. They said every time they did the tush push, you like f my life. Yeah. Yeah. So like, he he's gonna call it a a career. I hope so for his sake. I feel like what? What happened? This just saying Cowboys are not making the head coaching change. Mike McCarthy is returning for the twenty twenty four season. All right, twelve and five, bouncing the first round. Cool. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I mean, especially because like the tush push, like you watch it, and it's just he's pretty much in the bottom of a dog pile with some of the biggest men in the world just on top of him. Like it's crazy. Knock on wood, of course. Like he hasn't gotten hurt from doing that. Like especially the one they tried on Tampa in the red zone, and like the one that Vita Vea just snuffed out. Like, I just know that could not be fun. Uh, but, yeah, I think he's going to end up calling. I think the only way he wouldn't is if he um, is if he really felt in his heart that the Eagles can contend for a Super Bowl, which they could. They got some work to do, but I think it's a possibility. But, all right, uh, well, since Mike McCarthy's coming back, that's going to cut down on one of the believable or buffoonery questions. Um, but here's an interesting take from Chad Johnson uh, via the Nightcap podcast. He talked about the Cowboys and how stagnant they've been and said Jerry Jones is the reason why they can't get past the first round. That's the problem. Go ahead and get in the background and let them boys handle their business from now on. Is it believable or buffoonery that Jerry Jones is the biggest thing holding the Cowboys back? Because I can tell you, I think it's buffoonery. Yeah, I'm going to say buffoonery. I do think that, like, I'm not gonna say it's holding him back, but I do think that he he, he can take a back seat, especially if like you're making certain decisions from a roster standpoint. Uh, if you want to go ahead and like kind of relinquish that and let other people do it, it's fine. But I don't. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna say that, that he's the biggest reason why. Yeah, especially because I mean their drafts have been really really good. Like, I know, like, they haven't been drafted some of the flashier players, but, like, when it comes to getting bodies in the trenches, they do a really good job of that. Jacob Ferguson, who I think is a second-year tight end, came out the woodwork, has been well. Obviously, you can't hit on every pick, but he's hit on quite a few. And I know he can be a bit of a distraction, and people like to, like, make fun of Jerry Jones, but he's not calling the game. He's not the one out there playing it. I think he kind of said it perfectly. I think it was before this season started when um, I think they were at training camp and somebody asked them, what's holding y'all back from winning a Super Bowl or what's holding y'all back from uh, made, for making a, a deep playoff run? He said coaching. And Mike McCarthy was sitting right next to him. And if I was going to blame anything, I think that would be a bigger issue as opposed to Jerry Jones, even though he is a bit of a distraction. But, I mean, that also comes with playing for the Dallas Cowboys. Everything's going to be a distraction. But, all right, last but not least, let's go ahead and make our divisional round uh, game picks starting off this Saturday afternoon. My Baltimore Ravens return from their bye. They host the Houston Texans. I can already tell this is going to be a game that's going to give me some great hairs, but I think Baltimore pulls it out. All right, next up, we got the San Francisco 49ers hosting the red hot Green Bay Packers. I know everybody want to say that Jordan Love was – um, what's called Aaron Rodgers is clone. I think that proves true this weekend as well because I don't think he's going to play as well against the 49ers. 49ers will head to the NFC Championship. Yeah, me too. All right, and then last but not least, we got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers heading to Detroit. 
as much as I would love for the Bucks to kind of shock the world, because this Baker, like, renaissance has been a lot of fun, especially for, like, my friend who's a Browns fan who's mad at all the Browns fans saying they should have kept Baker. But I think it ends. I think Lions pull it out. Yeah, I got Lions. All right, and then the game of the weekend for most people, Kansas City Chiefs headed to Buffalo to face the Bills. This is the first road playoff game of Patrick Mahomes' career, obviously not including the neutral site Super Bowls. <sighs> Regular season, Bills usually get the nod, but in the playoffs, that experience always chips in, and Patrick Mahomes always seems to outduel Josh Allen. I don't think that this Sunday is going to be any different. I think Chiefs win. This is tough. I think the Bills pull it out. Okay. It wouldn't shock me, but the Chiefs. All right, let's go ahead and talk the offensive, defensive, and rookies we are watching this weekend. Offensively, I'm watching Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is one of, if not the most fun player to watch in the regular season. However, once the lights are on bright and we get to the playoffs, it's a very different thing. Due to injuries, this will be his first year back in the playoffs um, in two years since that Bills game where he suffered the concussion through that pick six. It was all bad. I want to see Lamar buck the narrative. I want him to show, hey, this Ra that Ravens team of 2019 that lost as the one seed is different. The, what you see in the playoffs for me is different. It's a blip. We got a whole new energy. We're much more mature, and it all starts with number eight. Uh, I agree with you with Lamar, but for me, I'm going to say James Cook. I feel like a big reason why the Chiefs have always won against the Bills in the playoffs is because the Bills have always been one-dimensional and everything was relying upon Josh Allen. And James Cook has emerged to be uh, a significant running back for them. And I think if he's able to get going and take some of their pressure off Josh Allen, I think that's going to be why they win the game. It's funny you mention him because that goes into the defensive player I'm watching. And it's I'm cheating because it's a combo. It's uh, linebackers for the Kansas City Chiefs, Willie Gay and Nick Bolton. Like you mentioned, the Bills aren't as one-dimensional anymore. They're going to try to run it at you with James Cook. And obviously, Josh Allen is going to be running up there too. You got to have some physical guys in the middle of that defense to try to shut that down. Uh, Willie Gay and Nick Bolton have been really solid at that. But this is going to be one of, if not their biggest test, to be able to slow the Bills down and force them into being one-dimensional. Uh, for me... I'm going to go with your boys at linebacker. I'm going to go with PQ and Roquan because, like, yes, the Texans, they love to throw the ball around. But I feel like if you're able to, you know, get a couple blitzes in on CJ Stroud and maybe rattle them a little bit with some of the linebackers and not just all the reliable edge rushes, I think that could, uh, that could be vital. And – they just love to fly around the field. And I think if they're able to play the way that they've been able to play all season, their defense going to be like so. Oh, I can't. Oh, I love our defense this year. I, I just need them to handle business for, like, three more games. That's all I ask. Um, all right, rookie I'm watching is Yaya Diaby. 
outside linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Somebody a lot of people probably haven't heard of, but I want to say he leads all rookies in sacks. I mean, he's been having a really, really good year. And kind of talking about Jared Goff, he's been really solid, but a way to kind of slow him down, as is the case with almost every other quarterback in the NFL, is being able to get pressure. Obviously, this offensive line is going to know to key in on guys like Shaq Barrett or um, Levante David or Devin White when he comes on the blitz. But Yaya Diaby, obviously you watch the film, you'll recognize him. But he's not somebody an offensive line just instinctively knows to try to get. I think if he can have a big game, force some sacks and possibly some um, fumbles, I think that the Bucks can end up coming out on top. Oh, it's funny you mentioned the guy from the Bucks because my, my rookie is also for the Bucks. He's defensive tackle, Kalija Kansi um, from Pitt. I think the Detroit Lions, we obviously know, like, Jared Goff has made big plays, and he received a lot of praise for making big plays this past game against the uh, against the Rams. But we also know that the thing that really gets the, the Lions offense going is the run game. Yes, they have Vita Vail, but can this Ricky also help Vita to shut down their run game? Yeah, he had a really good game this past weekend against Philly, too. So, yeah, I think those rookies are definitely going to come up big or at least have to come up big for them to get this win. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. First things first, we'd like to send our thoughts and prayers uh, to the family and loved ones of assistant coach for the Golden State Warriors, Dijon Melojevic. He passed away today. Um, initially, it was reported that he suffered a heart attack this morning and the Warriors game tonight was going to be postponed. Um and then he ended up passing away. So, again, thoughts and prayers to him, his loved ones, the Warriors organization, just everybody who came in contact with him. Sad day. Um, but let's, on a more positive note, let's talk Mamba players of the week. Uh, my Eastern Mamba is Joel Embiid. Same. Uh, Western Mamba, he was my Western Mamba last week. He's going to be my Western Mamba this week, Kyrie Irving, because he's continued to ball over the weekend. My Western Mamba, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm gonna go with SGA. Shay is Shay is such a bad dude. Um, and then last but not least, Ricky Mamba. I'm gonna show some love to Gigi Jackson, South Carolina product. Comes to the NBA. Well, first first starts off in the G League with the hustle. Gets an opportunity with the NBA, or more specifically with the Grizzlies. Back to back twenty plus point games. With everything that's going on, it's nice to see at least some reasons to be happy if you're a Grizzlies fan. Same, Jesus Jackson. All right, top three takeaways of the week. Uh, my number three, it's very simple. Kyle Kuzma tweeted out, what, a couple weeks ago when the Pistons were on their losing streak saying, no, he's like, don't be that team. And what happened? Earlier this week, they lost to the Pistons by 12 points without Cade Cunningham. And so Kyle Kuzma is a textbook definition of not to talk crap, especially when your own house is not in order. When your team has its own struggles, you are not in a position to say nothing about anybody else. It's funny you said that, but that was definitely going to be my number three, so I don't even got to say nothing you said at all. All right, moving on to uh, my number two. The Grizzlies' injuries are disheartening, but, hey, at least some other players get to shine. Uh, I, like I just mentioned, Gigi Jackson, Vince Williams. I mean, I said it last week, but this is the time for Desmond Bain to shine. He's now out, so Jaron Jackson, whenever he can come back, 
um, shoot, uh, Zaire Williams, like guys who normally don't get a lot of attention or don't get a lot of playing time. This is their opportunity to make the most of it. Who knows where the Grizzlies go, but wherever they go, it's going to really end up being on the back of these younger guys. Um, for me, my number two is the lot. I think the, the Los Angeles Lakers did themselves a disservice by not trying to go after a bigger name free agent in the offseason. Um, they made some, like, I think some decent mid-level signings that still really haven't panned out. But I think a big thing is they just needed they needed another scoring punch and a guy that can, like, take pressure off. And the fact that they didn't do it, you start, it's really showed. I think they put a lot of hype into the Austin Reeves experience. And then, like, I think he's a good player, but I don't think he is nearly as good as what people thought he was going to be going into this offseason. Yeah, I, I know you've talked about how you hate Lakers fan, and a lot of people do. And I get it because, like, I remember so well this offseason. I'm like, oh, yeah, we had a great offseason. We brought in – we re-signed Austin Reeves. We brought back Rui Hachimura. Hacha we got Cam Reddish. We did this. We did that. And now two months into the season, everybody's like, damn, we suck. <laughs> like, every everything's all fine and dandy until it don't work out. So I totally agree with you. Maybe not in the offseason, even though – I, I do think Austin Reeves' experience, like, people definitely bought into that too much. But at, you would have thought that they would have tried to do something earlier instead of just a few weeks before the trade deadline because this team going into the playoffs, it would shock me. One, we got to make it through the play-in first and foremost, but it would legitimately shock me if we saw the second round with how we've been playing. So you're absolutely right. Um, but my number one is we got to see this matchup uh, last night between the Nuggets and Sixers. Nuggets end up falling to the Sixers, 126-21. Joel Embiid versus Nikola Jokic is arguably the best player-v-player player matchup in the NBA today. I know the big man, it's not many who get the respect that they rightfully deserve or consider some of the best players in the NBA. But last night, we got to see two of the best players, bar none, compete against each other, and that matchup did not disappoint. Obviously, there's always going to be great guard matchups and especially in today's game and the young talent there. But it's few things to me at this moment that are more exciting in NBA when two big men go at it in the post and you get to see which one is better. And on last night, it was Joel Embiid. So I'm excited to see their next matchup in a couple weeks. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the beautiful thing about that matchup is, is because of the position that they play, they can't run from each other. Right. Uh, more times than not, you get, like, good guards or good wing players. Like, you don't see them. You typically might not see them defending each other. You will see somebody defending, the, like, the better player. Like, when it's two, big, two great bigs, you can't be like, ah, oh, uh, Tyrese Maxey, go guard, Joker. Like, right. no, you got to go. So, but my number one is... I think that, honestly, I think the Atlanta Hawks, I understand that they want to build around Trey Young. I don't know. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be a focal point. I think they should be sellers while they still have value versus, like, keeping a lot of their roster intact. Yeah, 
I actually totally agree with you because, I mean, it feels like, or at least in my opinion, like if you're a team and you feel like you kind of hit your ceiling, I think it's better to just kind of blow it up as opposed to just stay stagnant for five, ten years and then all your players get old and then you're forced to go into a bit of a rebuild as opposed to initiating one yourself. So I do totally agree with that. Um, but roster moves. The trade deadline is coming up, and we're finally starting to see the machines start moving. Uh, first, there was a trade between the Detroit Pistons and the Washington Wizards, uh, which sent Marvin Badgley the third, Isaiah Livers, and two second-round picks to Washington in exchange for forward Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala. And then to the trade that, you know, involves com- competent teams. Uh, it was after a lot of speculation. It is officially official. The Toronto Raptors are trading Pascal Siakam to the Indiana Pacers in exchange for uh, Bruce Brown, Jordan Nwara, and three first-round picks. Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans are also the third team in this deal. They're going to be sending Kira Lewis to the Raptors and a second-round pick to the Pacers. We are we talked about this off-air, but I'm I'm sure it bears repeating. So. If the season were to start today with all their guys healthy, their starting lineup would be Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heal, Benedict Matherin, uh, Pascal Siakam, and Miles Turner. Right now they're sixth in the Eastern Conference. Let's start off on the easy level. Do you think that with Pascal and a healthy Tyrese Halliburton, they can push their way up the standings and to get into possibly the top three? And then second, do you think that this helps increase their title chances? Um, as far I don't see pushing them to the top three. Uh, I could see them vying for the four or five, which they currently were, given being in six. Um, as far as title odds, I'm still going to say no, because like, again, it just feels like this is Boston's year. And I don't think that adding Pascal to Indiana is enough to put them past Boston. Yeah. I don't – I know that they've beaten the Bucks multiple times, but in a grinded-out seven-game series, even with Pascal, I don't think that would give them the edge. Same could be said for Philly. I don't think that they would beat Philly in a seven-game series. And those are the top three seeds, like not even mentioning Boston. I mean, I think from a defensive perspective, it helps out a lot because the Pacers' defense has been practically non-existent all year. And I get it. You want to make a move. Tyrese Halliburton is hot right now. People are actually talking about the Pacers. You want to make do something that's going to be able to possibly, you know, keep momentum going. And Pascal Siakam's not a bad player. I just don't know if this is the move that is going to – like we said, like I don't think this is going to be the move that's really going to put them over the top. Maybe it'll get them to the second round of the playoffs, but I don't see them like going to the West Eastern Conference Finals or nothing no time soon, or at least with the way their roster is currently constructed. And so it does beg the question, though, let's just talk duos. Where do you think Tyrese Halliburton and Pascal Siakam in the current state of NBA duos, where would you place them? Top 15. I don't know where, but top 15. Yeah, because, like, I'm looking at the standards right now. So, like, Boston, they're not better than Giannis and Dane. Philly, they're not better than Embiid and um, 
What's his name? Embiid and Maxi. Cleveland. Let's say the duo of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, or Darius Garland, or Spider, or um, what's his name? Evan Mobley. I don't think they're better than them. Miami, Bam and Jimmy, no. Knicks, Jalen Brunson and um, Julius Randle. That's a tough one. Yeah, right. I think, I think, because I, I put Pascal over um, Julius Randle. And between Jalen Brunson and Tyrese Halliburton, I don't think it's that much of a gap. Orlando, would you put them over Paolo and Franz Wagner? Maybe. I don't. It's also hard because, like, I haven't seen them, like, on the court yet. Right. From a talent standpoint, I probably still would say Paolo. And uh, Franz, because I think from a ceiling-wise, Paolo is the best talent out of the four. Agreed. And then, I mean, that's just looking at Eastern Conference teams. That's not even acknowledging, say what you will about they old behinds, but AD and LeBron, Kawhi and PG went healthy, Luka and Kyrie, KD and D-Book. So, yeah, I I don't think they're that high yet. But, like I said, hopefully it'll help them start playing some defense. Um, but all right, let's go ahead and move on to a quick game of well, actually, I lied. First, we want to give congratulations to Dwayne Wade. Um, Pat Riley announced earlier this week that the team will be building a statue for Dwayne Wade later this year outside of American Airlines Arena. So congratulations to him. I know Kobe's gonna be getting his um, statue unveiled. I think, actually, I know February twenty fourth. 24 24 um any other player like recently retired that you think deserves a statue uh Dirk already has one right that's a great question i know they have like an emblem of him on the court but i don't know if he has a statue if he doesn't he's the first person to come to mind uh let's look this up because if he doesn't he absolutely he absolutely needs one um yeah, he has one. He's got one. Okay, outside of him. Um, that's really it. Yeah, like, because, like, getting your jersey retired is one thing, but to get, like, immortalized with a statue, I can't think of really anybody else. I almost said KG, but I don't know if Minnesota would do it. So we'll see. But all right, what about M- current NBA players? Obviously not the easy ones of the current. Let's say this next crop of stars. Who do you think is going to end up getting a statue, and why is it John Morant? I mean, because he's the transcendent he's, he's player for the Memphis Grizzlies franchise. Yeah, he. I feel like if Ja comes, especially next year, comes back, he's playing well. He's being, like, arguably – the next face of the NBA, he's going to get a statue, and rightfully so. Um, but, all right, injury news, like we mentioned at the top, not a great past few weeks for the Grizzlies. Desmond Bain uh, has been diagnosed with a grade three left ankle sprain and will be reevaluated in six weeks. 
sucks in for the Grizzlies in real life and sucks for both my fantasy teams because he was balling for them. Um, and the Lakers will be without forward Cam Reddish. He's expected to miss the next few games with left knee soreness. Uh, this season, he's been averaging only 6.5 points, 2.4 bo- assists. I'm sorry, uh, 2.4 boards, 1.4 assists. So, sucks to have a player not on the bench, but, you know. And then uh, now, let's move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. Relatively short, just two questions, but I think – they're both pretty interesting. Uh, starting off with Boogie Cousins. Uh, he was recently on the Bully Ball podcast and was talking about loyalty in the NBA and brought up Trey Young, in which he said, if I'm Trey, I'd get ahead of the curve. The situation I'm afraid of with Trey is he'll remain in Atlanta too long, and then all of a sudden he becomes the villain, and he's the scapegoat. I know from experience. So, believable or buffoonery, Trey Young should demand a trade from the Hawks ASAP. Believable. I mean, like, yes, they say they want to build around him, and he they view him as a cornerstone piece. But Atlanta isn't like a flashy market. Like they looked up and had success because they had Joe Johnson, Jeff T, Kyle Corver, Paul Millsap, and Al Horford. And that was, like, probably one of the better Atlanta Hawks teams in recent years. But you're not going to – I don't see them building, like, a playoff contender. In, not a playoff contender, but championship contender in Atlanta. I am, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I would say, whereas if you're Trey Young, you can be like, hey, I want help. You potentially go to a team that's one piece away from being a championship contender. Yeah, and, I mean, we hear rumblings just about every day about – this team is interested in DeJounte Murray, or this team's being linked to DeJounte Murray. You get rid of DeJounte Murray, pretty much whatever you get back in return realistically is not going to help you get over the hump or help you be better right now than what you've been. And so, yeah, I think I think definitely if they end up trading DeJounte, he should get out of there. But in general, I think it would be a good idea to go. All right, last thing, talking about Shaquille O'Neal, who I'm not saying he's like one of the old heads – who used to play in the NBA and hurts on hates on the next generation, but he has his moments, and this might have been one of them. Uh, in a recent interview with Adam LaFolk, LaFolk had interviewed Big Diesel to Joel MB, to which the Hall of Famer took umbrage with and said, I did that with four MFers on me, times the shit, times four. I averaged 120 MFer. And so essentially... He's saying it because looking at the stats, Joel Embiid this season is averaging 35 points per game, 12 rebounds per game, six assists per game, and two blocks. Shaq's best statistical season, 30 points per game, 14 rebounds per game, four assists per game, three blocks per game. I know that the game has changed in the past 20 years since Shaq's prime. Well, shit, almost 30 now. But do you think it is disrespectful for Shaq or her Joel and B to be compared to Shaq. No, uh, I mean, because when you look at the current state of the NBA, Joel and B is the most dominant big man in today's game. Um, their games are obviously very different. Like Joel and B is uh, more of a perimeter-oriented big man. He can shoot the mid-range and step out to the three-point line on occasion. Um, 
and like the way that they go about posting up and getting their points is very different. Like Joel Embiid is like if you put Hakeem Olajuwon, he was like two eighty, two eighty five. That's Joel Embiid. Whereas you have Shaq, he was just dominant. Like I'm gonna just put this elbow in you, and you I'm gonna hit you with this pop with his drop step, maybe a spin baseline, only had a few, he just shared it overpowered you. Um, from the stat standpoint, I do kind of lean towards Shaq in this regard. A lot of Joel Embiid's points come from the free throw line, which on the other hand, Shaq can make free throws, he would have had a lot more points as well. But Shaq did it with the lack of yeah, I agree with you. Um, I I don't think it's disrespectful, especially because I mean, I'm not gonna say the days of a physical big man are gone, but they're pretty close to it. And if we're looking at dominant centers right now, the most dominant would be Joel Embiid. He plays like you said, he plays with a totally different style than Shaq does. But I don't think it's disrespectful to, like, say that. But, yeah, in terms of the stats, I mean, it's so much easier to score now than it was when Shaq was playing. And so I would definitely feel some type of way because, you know, there's somebody out there who hears these stats and says, oh, yeah, Joel Embiid is better than Shaq. Never watching Shaq in his prime, never seeing all that it took for Shaq to be able to put up those points. And mind you, he's not shooting three-pointers. He's not a good free-throw shooter. So he's just going to have to bully and body people in the post. And so, yeah, now retrospect, I think it's, it's, it's problematic, but ultimately, not really. Um, but let's make game picks for tonight. Uh, games are already in progress, but, you know. Um, so, go, go ahead and kicking things off with tonight's matchup between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Dallas Mavericks. Who you got? Mavs. Yeah, I do too. Uh, Brooklyn Nets versus the Portland Trailblazers. I got Nets. Nets. And then uh, Timberwolves and Cavs are playing right now. It's 46-25 in the second. Do you think Bucks pull comeback? Uh-uh. Yeah, I don't think so. That's a pretty big hole. Uh, Timberwolves are up 72-64 in the third quarter against the Pistons. I think they hold on to that. Me too. Right now, and with 7.29 left in the second, Knicks are up on the Rockets, 32-27. I think Knicks pull out that win. Me too. Raptors are currently blowing out the Miami Heat, 56-24, with 7.33 left in the second. I think Raptors pull that out. Me too. Uh, Celtics up 18 on the San Antonio Spurs with 3.13 left in the second. Scores 58-40. I think Celtics end up winning that. Me too. Magic up 40-34 on the Hawks with 6.09 left in the second. I th- I think Magic hold on, but it wouldn't shock me if Trey Young does what Trey Young likes to do and just randomly goes crazy. Yeah, I'll see that, Magic. All right, last but not least, uh, New Orleans Pelicans are up 22-14 over the Charlotte Hornets. 6.53 left in the first quarter. I think Pelicans hold on. Me too. All right, and that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening, as always. Please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Free yourselves of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, before we get up out of here, anything you'd like to say? 
Um, Lakers, I've kind of resigned myself to us kind of sucking right now. So let's make a trade. Like, just get somebody who can help. I don't care if it's DeJounte Murray. I don't care. Well, I, I do kind of care who it is. But just somebody who can be a reliable third scoring option because Austin Reeves is not that. Um, but obviously, it's still football season, and my team is still playing. Baltimore, please handle business this weekend. I want to make it past the divisional round for, what, the first time since we went to the Super Bowl. So I beg of you, let's handle business. Um, but, yeah, that's our show. Next weekend is Royal Rumble, first pay-per-view of the new year. So we got predictions coming up on deck. But, again, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.